This is the Dr. Tim Murphy Show, where you will learn how to tear down the mental barriers to success and health and build up a stronger you. In these podcasts, Dr. Tim Murphy offers you the tools for recovery and surviving and thriving after trauma. There is a pathway to healing, and he does this through faith and psychology. Dr. Tim Murphy, bringing healing to your heart, your mind, and your spirit. Today's episode is brought to you by MyPillow, and I'm excited about that because a lot of what we deal with in psychological health also involves healthy sleep. People who've got sleep problems who don't get enough sleep can end up with a wide range of problems, developing dementia in later ages, or when you're not getting enough sleep, it's going to affect your risk for heart problems, appetite problems, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, not a good thing. Mike has Giza Dream bed sheets are called. They look and feel great, and it helps you get a better night's sleep. Helps me. They're really soft. They're breathable, very durable, and they come with this sixty-day money-back guarantee and a ten-year warranty. They got a lot of variety of sizes and colors, and he's got this sale going on. And for a limited time, you'll get fifty percent off these Giza Dream sheets, and you'll get a set for as low as twenty-nine ninety-eight. And here's how you do it. You go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio podcast square, and use promo code Dr. Tim. It's not case sensitive, just D-R-T-I-M, D-R-T-I-M. And there you're going to get this pillow offer if you want. You can get the mattress topper. You can get towel sets. You can get a lot of different things. But I encourage you, if you have any sleep problems or just want a healthy night's sleep, it's great to do that. And you're helping out this program. You're helping me get the word out about psychology and faith to other people too. So go to MyPillow.com and plug in promo code Dr. Tim, D-R-T-I-M. I'm Dr. Tim Murphy. Welcome. Today, we have a fascinating guest, and I'm glad you can join us. A man with multiple titles, Sheriff Dr. Curry Myers. On the faculty of the Criminology Department of Benedictine College, he's got 35 years of professional experience as a state trooper, Special Agent Sheriff, Criminologist, Professor, Consultant, Executive, the list goes on. So we're really excited to have you on the show today, Dr. Myers Curry. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Um, I'm honored. I'm the uh, Criminal Justice Public Policy Advisor and Criminologist to Americans for Prosperity now. And I've been in that position for about two years where I've been helping them with criminal justice public policy. Well, thank you. Let's get into some of that in a in a moment here, I want to start off, however, with um, an article you wrote that got my attention, and that is about defunding the police. Now, this has some nexus with the work I've done over the years with mental health, with mental illness, its impact upon violence, um, training of police officers with things like crisis intervention training. And as you know, there have been cases out there where there have been some misbehaviors by the police. And the reaction has been widespread, using a, a wide approach as opposed to just dealing with some people who have misbehaved. There's also been cases of people who have resisted arrest and have problems who have severe mental illness and psychosis and could have handled another way. 
from my point of view, I look upon those. There's times to give police more training. There's times to move people out of the force, but never go at this and just change everything dramatically. And that's what happened with the defund the police movement. And where is this whole defund the police movement going? What was it supposed to do? And what did it end up doing? It went with an incredibly broad brush to say, well, let's just not have police at all. Place that came from just didn't make sense because we needed police officers to protect us in the community. But there were some out there. I think you have a number like 5% of the officers out there are the ones that cause all the problems. Yeah, it's basic. We're about 5% of the of the officers um, and you ask most officers that are on departments, they can actually point to the 5% of bad actors that are on their department. And they need more training. They need focus or they need to be moved on to other jobs too. Uh, are we training police exactly. officers There's, enough? Uh, no, not in my opinion. And in, in the training that we that is conducted sometimes is not germane to what the real issues are or problems are. There, there definitely is coaching opportunities. And I'm a big believer that you coach up or coach out. Um, and there are some people that are entering into careers and probably are not best suited for particular careers. And in many cases, law enforcement officers, you learn more about them as they come on the job and whether or not they have the personality to be able to handle conflict. Mm-hmm. Do they have the ability to have um, deconfliction skills where they where they don't overreact to, to individual situations? Uh, but I've also written that sometimes the police unions – um, have made it where it's difficult to get rid of the 5% of bad actors. So I'm not against police unions. I think they play a, a fine role with respect to pay and, and safety of officers. But more and more unions have, have gotten involved in the in the punishment end of it, where it makes it extremely difficult for police chiefs and sheriffs. I didn't have that problem. Kansas is a right-to-work state, and I uh, I ran a department that's one of the larger sheriff's offices in the Midwest. But in many states where you don't have right to work, the the uh, collective bar- bargaining agreements prevented police chiefs and, and sheriffs uh, to terminate bad employees, and, and as um, you know, even if you have proof of it. And as you know, this was not just uh, police officers who had problems, but it was also when you had district attorneys and mayors and city councils that also pushed police officers to not enforce the law. So if you look at exactly. counties and cities exactly. around the nation that did that, what happened to the crimes in those places? What were the rates like? Well, they skyrocketed. And it leads to, and it goes back to number one, we had prosecutors that in many areas, these are elected officials, but many prosecutors decided to go with a, a more woke philosophy. And they virtually have ignored state law that's been dutifully passed by state legislators in the United States and signed by governors. And they've outright said, we're not going to enforce those laws. Now, I, I, I don't have a problem if people say, well, I think a law is, is unjust, but the way you do it is not enforce it. You go back to the legislature and you say, this law is unjust, and I'm going to give you know reasons and make an argument why to try to get it changed, um, as opposed to just out and out, we're, we're just not going to enforce that particular law. So look at the states, um, and then, the, the counties that did stop this. I mean, um, there's a few counties in America that most of the murders occur in. That's, cor- that's correct. About 1% of the um, counties uh, that are run by progressive leaders, elected leaders, uh, makes up for about 42% of America's murders. Hmm. I, you know, I cited it as an example as Indianapolis, Indiana, which only makes up about uh, or less than 10% of the state's population 
but they have more than half of the murders. Their county, Marion County, has nearly half of the murders in the state of Indiana. So it, it gets very skewed with this one particular area that, that happens to have a, district attorneys and mayors that have done the defund movement to some extent, and then have also decided not to prosecute certain cases. And it became a perfect storm. And I think the other the other real issue became around bail. Um, now, I'm not against bail reform. I think there are times when bail reform is an important tool for people, but we literally saw county and district attorneys have own recognizance bail that that applied to people who had significant violent crime criminal histories and had been arrested um, on numerous occasions and they were still getting basically left on uh, on or bonds so Hmm. the criminal justice system is not necessarily rocket science so you know we know that recidivism is one of the main reasons why criminal activity continues to occur um, in fact, the about 70% of violent criminals will reoffend once they are get let out of prison. It's about 70% uh, in the first three years. It rises to 75% after the first five years. And for those under 25, it's it's a staggering 80% once they get released after the first three years. So that's an example. But the you go back to the defund movement. If if most and you probably are aware from this from your time as a congressman and being involved in uh, the state Senate and a leader in, in Pennsylvania yourself. But most um, public budget systems, especially law enforcement first responders, are primarily made up of salary and benefits. There isn't a lot of extra percentages for operational expenses, training expenses. So when cuts occur, that generally it's cut where it's manpower related. And then you throw on the, the fact that many law enforcement officers decided to retire early because they felt like they weren't wanted, they weren't respected by their elected leaders, and then some weren't respected by the community, um, which was unfair. So you had people taking early retirements, which reduced the, the labor force. Some officers with 12, 15 years that actually said, I'm not going to do this career any, anymore, and they left if they would have stayed another five or six years, they, they would have qualified for retirement, and they actually left. This is why I wrote that we're going to fill this effect for not just years to come, but potentially decades to come, because if you have well-seasoned, trained field officers that aren't there to mentor new officers coming in, you're going to have a leadership problem in that agency for potentially decades, uh, because you're not going to have field leaders that know how to handle people and, you're, and those people ultimately aren't going to get promoted up, so you're going to have a void in leadership from a command and control point of view. And then last but not least, we had retention issues even to get people in the door to come work for police because the community was speaking, there, there became anti-police rhetoric, and who in the world is going to want to become a police officer if you're automatically going to be judged in the court of, uh, of public opinion that you're in a, a, a career that is um, racist and, and does evil. In my work as a psychologist, I really focus on veterans and first responders. And what comes out for me is that the police officers who struggle enough with trauma, uh, the things one sees on yeah. not, not daily, weekly basis, people can reach their break point. But that break point comes a lot easier and a lot quicker if they feel no one has their back, that elected officials are criticizing them, second-guessing People telling them what to do have no idea what to do. 
But this is where the officers themselves, I see them struggling more. Um, they feel, I go to work and I don't know if someone's shooting at me what I have to do with pulling out my gun, with my taser, what I can even enforce anymore because some elected official said you should have never pulled over that car that ran through a red light and has broken headlights, et cetera. The list goes on and on. So right. you're bringing up some great points here. So it is a matter of looking at those who um, themselves either train them or move them out, the police officers are the problem. Don't use the broad brush and attack everybody. Get elected officials to focus on their job instead of uh, succumbing to the public will of just a very small percent. And it really help with the training because otherwise the outcomes you said is not only deadly, but it lasts for a long time. And I want to mention to our listeners that we're talking with Dr. Curry Myers, uh, been a sheriff and a state trooper for a long time. And he has a website, drcurrymyers.substack.com. That's D-R-C-U-R-R-I-E-M-Y-E-R-S dot substack.com. And you can go there for further information. But Dr. Myers Curry, I want to have a little shift here in where mm-hmm. we're going with this, because we've talked about what police can do different. We've talked about what elected officials can do different, and maybe they need to move on. But there's also what's happening in our society, what's happening to human beings. What, how do we break down? You have a fascinating article which talks about feral man. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I wrote the advent of feral man a few months ago. I guess it's uh, nine months now. But I started taking a look at um, social contagions that are occurring in current time and then the breakdown uh, that we're seeing in the last couple of decades. And then you, you put those things together with the defund movement and the riots that occurred. Um, and all of that became a, a real perfect storm for criminality. And I'm someone who has had predicted that we're going to see crime spikes continue. And I believe that they will continue with no abatement in the near future. But I'm a big believer that the lack of faith, family, and formation is one of the biggest reasons that crime occurs. We've had a a mitigation of faith and faith life. I don't say that from a religiosity point of view, a particular religion, but in general, we have we have lost our way. I think Americans were were widely known to be a faith-filled people. In many ways, they serve something greater than themselves. I got into law enforcement not for the pay's horrible. You know, you don't get into it for pay. I got in it to serve something greater than myself. And we've lost that connection with faith. And if we don't believe that we're serving something greater than ourselves, then it's easy to treat other people less than a Christian should treat someone. So so that's the first one. Now, that's been something that's been, that just didn't happen the last five, four or five years. That's been a contagion that's been going on for some time. And then you look at the lack of family. So now we're living in a time where we have incredible fatherlessness. Divorce rates are extremely high. And the the foundational belief of having a connection with your family and the happiness that's associated with family bonding and connecting um, is now being minimized greatly. So we have young people that all of a sudden can't turn to a faith life and they can't turn to a family life to help them. And then the last thing is formation. I think the important, and when you're raising children, I have five wonderful children and nine grandchildren, but the raising of children and forming 
them in a particular way to not only be good citizens, but also to respect laws and traditions and to to embrace a particular religion that you may have. Now, we happen to be Catholic on our end, so that's the that's the religion that we follow and subscribe to. We pray before meals. We do daily rosaries sometimes, and you know we attend mass regularly. And those things help form a, a particular faith life, but it helps form an individual to behave a certain way. You know, I think humans in general can develop these dark psychological traits if they don't have something that they can turn to and help them not go into that dark phase that we all can go to, that we all can be forced into those areas. And, you know, in particular, I think the dark tetrads have increased significantly over the last four or five years. And now we're seeing it. We're, we're seeing a lot of mass crime. We're seeing riots in mass. We're seeing burglaries in mass. We're seeing retail theft in mass. We're seeing um, carjackings done in mass. And when I, when I say in mass, back in the day, a carjacking might be done by one person. A carjacking today would be a car full of people getting out and jacking a car. Shoplifting back in the day, maybe one or two people. Today's age, we're seeing 30 or 40 people go in and overwhelm a retail store. And, and you can get lost. I think you, you, you may agree. I think you would agree from your background that you can get lost and be anonymous in crowds. That ability to be anonymous and not and kind of de-individualize yourself, you, the, the dark um, psychological traits can really play a role in the formation of people that are involved in that. And, and the other thing that's along with that is we have the Internet and social media, which can really foster being anonymous. And we see people do and say things that you would never do to somebody one-on-one or in person. Throw all those things together, it makes me concerned for how we are going to treat people going forward. And it's easier to treat people badly and even harm them if you have that, those dark psychological traits, you know, that are coming up. So we've gone over a number of problems and they can leave us pretty depressed. Uh, Loss of faith, breakups of family, we're not forming kids right. With the defund the police uh, movement has backfired in terms of leading to more crime. Uh, politicians who uh, kowtowed to a very small minority and have been out there along with district attorneys and said, let's not enforce crimes anymore. People are afraid to go into cities. They're afraid to go into stores. They're afraid to hang out somewhere. But we've got to go somewhere for hope. So in the couple minutes we have left, can you say where we do go for hope? What is in there for our future and for the man and woman driving down the road today, listen to this podcast, what can you tell them? Well, all things can be overcome if with our Lord and, and the, the time for prayer and the time for reconciliation is important and have introspection. And if you're a parent, it's what can I do different in the raising of my own children and have an impact with them? I think that's the most important is are you are you raising children that you can be proud of, and are you protecting them from harm's way? Because in many ways, our job as a parent is to protect them from getting into things that's going to get them in trouble. 
And so we have to lead from that example. And if you're uh, if you're around others, um, they're going to see and 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 feel that energy um, when you are dealing with your family. So going back to the faith, you know, family and formation is, as quickly as possible that we can, and it starts with every individual. From a criminal justice system's point of view, we need to continue to commit to focusing on violent crime, trying to reduce crime based on evidence-based policing, which will help us gather data and information quickly. We need to fund police accordingly and not through fines, fees, and forfeitures, because that drives a wedge through the community when, when law enforcement is looked at as a revenue gatherer. So we need to fund through general funds to make sure that they're funded appropriately. Mm-hmm and trained appropriately. And then last but not least, we have to reinvent ourselves from a mental health perspective. I think in the in the 70s, uh, we kind of went away from the mental health um, philosophies that we've had. And as a result, um, we, have, we don't have any place to take care of people. And the jails have been the ad hoc mental health facilities of today's age. Right. And so we have to have a very strong mental health um, reemergence on treatment and to make sure that we have some contingency management models in place to actually place people who are not able to take care of themselves because making people live out on the street and continuing to say that it's okay to use drugs and live out on the street is inhumane to people who are suffering from addictions and suffering from mental illness. We've got to make sure that they get taken care of. Well said. I I really appreciate those last comments about prayer, about taking care of the mentally ill. Unfortunately, tragically, the largest mental institutions in the United States are the Los Angeles County Jail, the Cook County Jail. I know where I am in Allegheny County. That's where we send people. And that is inhumane. It's cruel. And under any other circumstances, we would call that criminal. But unfortunately, that's the way things are working now. So I hope people are inspired by your words. I know I am. And for those listening, I hope they take this to heart, raise their children right, get reengaged with their faith and their family. It's very valuable. So thank you for being with us. We've been talking to Dr. Curry Myers, whose website is Dr. D.R. Curry Myers, C-U-R-R-I-E-M-Y-E-R-S dot substack dot com, where you can read more of his blogs and pieces and listen to him there. Curry, thank you so much for being with us today. We're very grateful. And To those of you listening, thank you for listening. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to my podcast. And if you have any comments or questions or suggestions for future podcasts or blogs, please send them to me through my website, drtimmurphy.com. That's D-R-T-I-M-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com. And please share my website with your friends and family. I'd love to hear from you. You can find more information about trauma in my book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD, available through my website or wherever books are sold. I'm Dr. Tim Murphy. I look forward to speaking with you next time.